This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly, plugging the mic in to finally take the Europa League seriously. Rangers are into the final after beating RB Leipzig barely. Anyone gave them a chance, but they hung in there in Germany and thoroughly deserved their victory at Ibrox. Does it mean Scottish football is better than we thought it was? Or is it just a magic night for Ali McCoist? Hard to decide which hashtag scenes look wilder, those in Glasgow or in Frankfurt where West Ham are out. To get one card in the first half of a knockout game in the Europa League may be regarded as a misfortune. To get two looks like carelessness. Aaron Cresswell's indiscretion gives David Moyes little chance of progressing as we ask, is it okay for a manager to kick a ball at a ball boy if it sits up nicely on the volley? Jose's through to another final. That's not good for the narrative. Leicester seemed very angry with the referee. Also today, there's 50 squill in a week for Mbappe. A lot of Seattle Sounders fans getting in touch. Your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly Friday special. On the panel today, Barry Glendening, welcome. Hi, Max. Uh, Lars Siverson, hello. Good morning, Max. And Archie Rintat, welcome. Morning, Max. Uh, Neil says, less a question, more a comment. Unless I've miscalculated, all six finalists from the various competitions are from different countries. That's nice, isn't it? Ben says, are this season's European finals trying to transport us back to 1983 or something? Liverpool, Real Madrid in the European Cup, Rangers, Frankfurt in the UEFA Cup, and the Cup Winners' Cup, he's calling it, Roma Feyenoord Classics. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful set of games, isn't it? And Jack, who is a Rangers fan, says, uh, parental advisories, Use better not lead on fucking West Ham tomorrow, please, Max. Okay, then, since you asked politely, let's start <laughs> with uh, Rangers 3, Leipzig 1. Andrew says, Archie, that's what happens when you write off the capital letters, famous Glasgow Rangers. Buff Seagull says, should Rangers move into the Bundesliga as they've beaten both the second and fifth place and might give Bayern a challenge? Uh, let's bring in Colin McMillan uh, from the Heart and Hand podcast, a Rangers podcast. Uh, Colin, welcome. Morning. Thank you for having me on, Max. Appreciate it. No, th- thanks so much for coming on. Uh, Ali McCoy said the atmosphere was the best he's heard anywhere in world football ever. I mean, he was brilliant on comms as ever. He is very impartial as a voice on, on this, uh, but I agree with anything he says anyway. Uh, how was it? Yeah, I mean, Ali gets about, so he would know. Um, but yeah, that last night was something special. European nights always are at Ibrox, but last night there was just a feeling in the air, um, a special, special night. Uh, a poignant night as well, obviously, with the, the, the sad passing of Jimmy Bell this week. The club kit man, who had been at the club for over 30 years, had driven the buses, put the cones out, put the subboards up, did all the kit work and stuff like that. So as well as the night being totally charged up for him, there was a minute silence at the start of the match as well, which was pretty... Pretty special moment for him and his family too. Um, one of the things last night that the the DJ or PA guy did was he stopped all the music half an hour before kickoff and just let the fans sing. And I think that just built up the atmosphere. And um, to be honest, I don't think the Lights Big players had ever seen anything like it. Um, and the crowd definitely played their part last night as well, for sure. Uh, there's a moment, you know, when you're sort of on the verge of winning a game and it's just getting to the final whistle, you know, and their keeper's up for a corner and it's just getting more and more nervous and finally the whistle goes and just describe that moment. That moment was, I can I can describe it even in terms of my health because my Apple Watch told me my heart rate went up to 168 um, at points <laughs> during that match. Uh, so... Um, what, what is it they say that you, you, you double your age and take away your age or something like that and you're dead if it gets to that rate but um, it was it was absolutely wild I sit up on one of the I sit in the top tier behind the Copeland goal uh, in the front row and for each of the goals but the third one in particular I think that the whole rest of the stand joined me in that front row um, hugging strangers people bursting into tears it was just like I say a special special night and it's it's one that we it's one that we deserve, you know. After the kind of journey we've been on over the last ten years, where we fell to where we rose from, um, obviously last year winning the league again was a big a big moment for us, a big box tick in terms of our, our reemergence and what we what we needed to be as a club and be successful again. But this this is next level. I I remember two thousand and eight and going to Manchester, and I remember travelling down there with my dad. We went up and down on the same day, and I said to my dad at the time. 
listen, you have a drink and I'll drive because you'll never see a deal like this again. I probably won't, but you definitely won't. Um, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm delighted to say my dad did see a night like this again and he'll hopefully be with me in Seville as well. But yeah, it's, it's hard to put into words. Um, it's still sinking in, to be honest. I say that as somebody who was quite confident going into the game last night, but, it, but still the reality of it, I think, is still kicking in a little bit. Yeah, you mentioned that third goal. Matty says, you know, what about John Marco Tardelli Lundstrom? It was abs- it was like proper. That celebration was yeah. was brilliant, wasn't it? And as you say, you did like you completely deserved it. And as someone who doesn't watch every minute of the SPL or every minute of the Bundesliga, I basically thought Leipzig would win. Well, that, that's the thing. I don't but, know why you're. I don't know why you're laughing, Archie. I, I do watch more than one minute, not not maybe that much. Sorry, Colin. No, no, that's the thing. And obviously, <laughs> when it comes to Bundesliga, we pretty much own that country now. I think in terms of beating their country. So Frankfurt, um, looking forward to playing them. You've as got well. one more boss level to uh, to, to, to master <laughs> before it. you get the full. Uh, before you can say completed it, mate. Yeah, absolutely. Then you've got you've got Frankfurt, but no. Congratulations for last night. Like to to overcome this this RB Leipzig team with the players and the quality that they've got in it. They've been tiring in the last few weeks for sure in Germany. And I mean, look, you saw with the quality of the goal that they scored with, with Nkunku, only certain players can manage that kind of technical quality of finish. And yeah, I've, I've spoken enough times to you, Max, about how good Nkunku is. But we've seen in the last few weeks, whether it's against Union Berlin in, in the Bundesliga as well at, at the weekend, uh, against Borussia Mönchengladbach, despite the depth in this squad, they have started to crumble, I think, energy-wise. And I I wouldn't say that RB Leipzig were intimidated by the atmosphere last night. I'd more place the focus on Rangers being energised that little bit more by their home crowd. And that wouldn't have happened. And that didn't happen back in Leipzig. Uh, Domenico Tedesco, the Leipzig coach, was even complaining about that after the first leg, being like their fans, as in their home fans, were not enough. So yeah, look, RB Leipzig are, are not, uh, are not like, an intimidating atmosphere is nothing new to them. They play in front of that every week in Germany because everyone hates them. So, <laughs> so, so in in that regard, so yeah, uh, it was it was nothing new. But look, I think amazing achievement for Rangers on the budget for them to to reach the final and also to be continually written off against these teams. I think that they've they've used that as as fuel for their for their run to the final. So if if Leipzig are starting to tire, you know, you gotta feel if only there was some sort of carbonated beverage <laughs> uh, <laughs> they could they could indulge in that's that picks them up when they're feeling a bit tired. I don't know. If the, the need to needs to be more awareness of this sort of thing. Now I, I was just looking at the numbers as well. I mean It'd be soulless to reduce it to this sort of thing. But, I mean, it's worth mentioning that Rangers' wage bill, I mean, it's between 40 and 50 million a year now. Isn't isn't that right? Yeah, they're they're about, sure. And that is, I mean, I know it's a huge club in its sense and has a big cultural footprint and a huge fan base, but they still have to live in the sort of same financial reality as the rest of football. And they are doing this, you know, beating Dortmund, being Leipzig on a budget that's kind of upper mid-table in the championship, which which makes it even more remarkable, I think. It's quite something. It's Yeah, it's incredible. I, I, I was a bit frustrated, I'll be honest, in, in the last, last couple of weeks with how much chat there's been about what a great achievement it was for West Ham. To get to the semi-finals of the Europa League, <laughs> yeah. because when you compare compare the the riches that West Ham have available to them, compared to to us and our sponsorship ability and the money we bring in because of the league we play in, basically, it's, it's it couldn't be further apart. So it really is incredible the the job that Steven Gerrard originally and then Giovanni van Bronckhorst has done to assemble that squad, not for a lot of money, picking up players from some of the leagues, lower leagues in England, uh, bringing through some youth players. I mean, Calvin Bassey was doing nothing at Leicester reserves. He's come in and he's he's the new Franco Baresi, basically. Um, it's <laughs> it really is it really is incredible, and what these players have done, playing all season as well. We play we play every weekend, every midweek, non-stop. That our schedule because of Europe and everything else in Scotland is crazy. Um, Joe Rebo um, has played more games in football than anybody in the world this season. He's played last night was his sixty fourth game um, for for club and country. And he's got a few more big ones to go. Is that is that why he did that air kick just before? <laughs> yeah, it, it, was just it, it could be. Knackered. It could be. Um, <laughs> there was there was a few moments in that game where I couldn't believe we'd missed that chance because that would have I think that would have ended it. But yeah, um, the, the the big thing about this for me as well is back in two thousand and eight when we did this the last time, 
We played a very, very defensive style and um, backs to the wall performances, nil-nils a lot of the time and then going through in penalties, um, scraping through the way goals various times and stuff like that. This year, we have went through and basically played every game on the front foot. Um, we've attacked teams and we've beaten teams on merit. Teams that clubs like us have got absolutely no right to be beaten. Um, European competition isn't set up really for teams out with the big five to get to finals, to get to semi-finals. The, the gulf in finances and ability is just far too big. It makes this even more remarkable and probably a bigger achievement than back in 2008. Colin, um, you did this last night without Alfredo Morelos, uh, no Kamara Roof, no Aaron Ramsey. How Was that a concern for you going into the game and... How injured are they? Will they be available for the final or are they likely to be available for the final? I believe Aaron Ramsey will be available. He was available on the bench last night, but we chose not to bring him on. Um, Kemar Roof will hopefully be okay. He was touching goal for last night, apparently. Um, he's been spending sessions in oxygen chambers and all sorts of stuff trying to get himself fit. Um, sadly, we've got a couple of league games coming up that don't mean much at this point, so I think we'll be able to rest a lot of the players and keep them fresh for the two finals we've got coming up. Um, but injuries has been a thing for us all season. Yanis Hadji's been out all season. Um, Philip Hellander, uh, our, our first-choice centre-backs, has missed most of the season as well. Um, in the build-up to last night's game, we needed Kmar Roof. That was the, 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 the kind of we kind of call into it because we didn't have a recognised striker to start with and we felt we would need that last night so it was disappointing when the team's come out and he wasn't in it but we just pushed on put Aribo through the middle and we got three goals so, uh, James Tavenier right back is now the top scorer in the Europa League um, which <laughs> is, is incredible um, the, the, the numbers that guy puts in is just is great um, so maybe we don't need a striker we can just play our right back up front Can I ask how good is James Tavernier because there are Rangers fans who, who insist he's one of the best players in the world, but with the greatest will, respect, he is at Rangers presumably for a reason rather than being at a, a bigger club. James Stavner is a fantastic player who I think could do a job um, probably mid-stable mid England Premier League if he, if, he, if he got that opportunity. He signed for us when we were in the second division in Scotland through Mark Warburton. He's one, he's one of the, the, the guys that stayed there throughout the journey, so to speak. He's became captain under Steven Gerrard. Um, his numbers are just incredible for a right-back. The assists and the goals that the guy scores is fantastic. He's, he's actual defending was never his strongest suit. He was always an attacking fullback. However, his defending has got better and better, especially under Steven Gerrard and now Giovanni Van Bronckhurst. I would say that I, I'm a big fan of James Tavernier. I love him. He does still have his sceptics because there's, there's still fans that believe a fullback should just defend and that's all they should do. And um, <laughs> if the defending's not Paolo Maldini-esque, they're not good enough. Um, but I believe that in terms of James Tavernier, he won't be fully appreciated until he's gone and we try and replace what he does. Because like I say, the numbers that he gets, is he, he's almost like a playmaker for us, but he plays it right back. The, the, those fans must be watching Liverpool going, this is all wrong! Yeah, oh, yeah. That, that, that's, that's, <laughs> oh, God, stop it! Stop yeah. it! Um, how, how, well is, uh, how, how well is Van Bronckhorst done? Because I guess when, when Gerard left, especially when you're looking and seeing how, what a great job Poster Cogley's doing, you must have been pretty terrified that this whole thing might unravel. Well, yeah, it was Gerard left us. I think we were still six points ahead in the league when Gerard left, um, quite unexpectedly from my point of view. And not the best timing at all. Uh, the club moved quickly and brought Giovanni in. And I think he's done a great job. There's been a couple of moments where we've not been sure, a couple of old firm defeats, falling back in the league. But I think what he's done in Europe and um, the last couple of results against, against Celtic have shown us that he has got something about him. He Tactically, he gets it spot on more often than not. The, the difference between the two legs and the semi-final is crazy because we played the, the same 11 in Germany as we played last night, but the teams did exactly complete polar opposite in terms of their, of their tactics. Total defence in Germany and then total attack last night from the same 11 players. He's also capable of switching a game. Um, quite often he'll move things, move to five at the back, um, adapt, bring on. He's good at using his substitutes now, which was a thing at the start we weren't sure about. I'm very much looking forward to seeing what him and his team can do with a full pre-season, with a full window and start bringing in their players. Um, I'm, I'm completely sold on him from a personal point of view. Um, um, and, and I've asked this on the pod before, but it's worth asking someone who's invested. Is it possible for Rangers and Celtic to both have a good season? 
Um, ideally not. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, I think this season probably will go down as, as a success one because they've managed. They are going to manage to claw back uh, the title and uh, win the league. However, us getting to Europa League, I'd say, is probably a bigger thing than winning the league at this point because. They just like I say, it doesn't happen for Scottish football. Rangers will Rangers will win many, 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 many more leagues before we ever get to a European final again. Dermot asked a question, going like, "Are Rangers good? I don't watch them really, apart from the Celtic games. But surely to be on the verge of a, you know, to be in a Europa League final, they must be good. Does this mean Scottish football is vastly better than people give it credit for? I'm sure you find a lot of the time Scottish football is kind of patronised. We may be guilty of it here." on occasion um do you care like do you care or, or like is that do you do you care whether how people view scottish football or not i'll, I'll be totally honest see most of the negative opinions about scottish football they're probably spot on um it is poor um it's it's a two-team league um the rest are not great um you see the difference even just when in rangers in europe because we get to play our own game in these games because teams will actually attack us and not just sit back with 11 players behind the ball and a, a, a block in defense so scottish football's hard work sometimes watching it it's not the most enjoyable but you're, you are seeing a, a European resurgence now with Rangers. You're going to see Celtic going straight into the Champions League next season. You're going to see Hearts hopefully get into Europa League. Um, well, potentially you're going to see Rangers in the Champions League as well next year if we win this competition. Um, ironically, Rangers are going as a pot one club, whereas Celtic will be pot four. So, wonderful. Um, but yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's having a little bit of a resurgence. But the money in the game is very low. The quality in general out with Rangers and Celtic is pretty low. But it's, it's a basket case for the league, not really like anything else. So I think you have to be invested in it one way or another to enjoy it. Otherwise, you've got a plethora of better options to watch at your weekends, I think, because you can watch pretty much every league on the, on the TV now, can't you? Max, that whole thing, just in, in terms of that, that, that question that you ask about, you know, how it extends to Scottish football, because I've, I've been on the receiving end of that question a lot with, German football and, well, Bayern Munich win it every year. How good can the Bundesliga be? I just want to take a step back and almost think that, or, or look at the fact that I think we're, we're viewing this with Premier League eyes too much sometimes because that's the only real place where this debate goes on about, well, if we look at that league, how good is that then really? Look, Eintracht Frankfurt are 11th in the Bundesliga and yet they're in this European final against Rangers. And also... They gave Bayern Munich two incredible games so far this season. Uh, plus, you know, very nearly rolled over Dortmund uh, earlier this season as well. My point is, is that I don't think, I don't think it's right to to judge leagues like that. And, and also, but does anyone else care? Like actually, like, like I don't care, but I know people in in the England care. Like like all, it's the league you watch, right? That's the league you like. Is the one you write. You, well, no, it's, it's not even about the league. Like most people, just watch football because they like their club. Like, and it's. I think it's more of a journalist thing where we're like, oh well. It it basically it asks a, a rhetorical question every time, which is intended on bringing you back to yes, the Premier League is the best in the world, and it's like, the, as you can see this season, there's just it's very different the environment and you look at like what rangers have done and the way that they they are more than the sum of their parts very similar to to what eintracht frankfurt are i just don't think it's possible to make a a sweeping judgment about the quality of of the football in a country because look it like rangers play differently to the way that eintracht frankfurt will they've got so many I, play, I look at ryan kent for example who didn't make it in the bundesliga i think because he was not tactically um, disciplined enough like for, for what they wanted from, from him at, at Freiburg, for example. So, and actually the, the, the beauty of football is that, you know, these what's not required in one country will be valued in another, in another system like Rangers. I also just think, I mean, what is the definition of a good league? I mean, we, have you heard this discussion? It's like, well, in, in England, the R is like people triumphantly declare, you know, our... 
our community assets have become playthings for dictators and hedge funds, and we allow leveraged buyouts like the Glazers and now Burnley. But look at this backup right back. We can afford to pay a hundred grand a week. Like, is this is this league not the best thing? And I was like, well, you know, I think your priorities might not be great here. I mean, this is something you might want to reconsider. Yeah, maybe. Um, so, so I think these discussions are intensely dumb. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I apologise for asking. It was Dermot, actually, Sella. It's all your fault, Dermot. <laughs> Take um, that, look, Dermot. Many, many, many thanks for subscribing. Uh, Colin, look, thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Um, and uh, look, good luck in the final. Yeah, absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Uh, Colin McMillan from the Heart and Hand podcast. And uh, yeah, you can get that wherever you get your podcast. I presume the latest one, when it comes out, will be very triumphant. Cheers, Colin. And that'll do for part one. Part two uh, will be uh, Eintracht Frankfurt, West Ham. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, Charlie says, should West Ham retroactively appeal to have Cresswell's ban from the Leon red card extended to three games? Um, uh, yeah, Eintracht Frankfurt won, West Ham nil. Archie, you were there. Um, it, it looked pretty special at the end, that atmosphere. Yeah. <sighs> it was. Was, that just it any, was. That's just any normal day in Frankfurt. Not just it? a football, <laughs> just any day in Frankfurt. No, look. It, <laughs> yeah. It it, it it was special. It was it was also a, a bit of a shame because I think it, it it ruined the chance for the players to all go across to the fans immediately, and you could tell that it took something of a sting out of it. But you could just feel the pure excitement from a Frankfurt point of view. They just could not contain themselves. And what looking back at the footage of the fans rushing onto the pitch, what encouraged me a bit was that. Not the vast majority were going over to the West Ham fans to bait them at all. It was just purely wanting to embrace their own players and say, we've reached our first European final in 42 years. And much like Rangers, we had no right to do this, given the opponents we've played against. Like West Ham, greater resources. Barcelona, we don't need to talk about. And a Real Betis side that have won the Spanish Cup this season. So I, they have beaten some brilliant teams in this competition. And last night, they managed the game superbly. I, I think against an English team, even with 10 men, you have to be careful because you know that there's still going to be something to come. And there was from West Ham as well. They had their chances still from set pieces. But I think that in a similar way, speaking about it earlier, that atmosphere energised Frankfurt. They weren't at their slickest last night in comparison to how they played at the London Stadium, for example. But ultimately, yeah, a very special night indeed. And I still had the the clock running on my phone from uh, from stoppage time uh, after the game. So I could count that it took a good 50 minutes for anyone behind the goal in the Nordvest cover at Frankfurt to start leaving the stadium because... The, the players were still out there just soaking it up. And yeah, a legendary night in Eintracht Frankfurt's history. The red card, um, David Moyes said, I thought it wasn't great officiating tonight. I think that was sort of separate. But then he says, but I think Aaron's given the referee a decision to make. Which barriers to send <laughs> off a player? I mean, like, it was, it was Jesus such, Christ, I mean, it, it was amazing the ref didn't send him off without VAR, but I don't care. You know, sometimes you don't do that. He came to the right decision. Byromaniac said, did you know Aaron Cresswell is an anagram of careless owl ran? Which doesn't really work, but what's the guy doing, Barry? Well, you can understand why you might do it once, but the fact he's done it in the previous round as well would suggest, you know, maybe it should have been in his little noggin to not do it again. And if that means conceding a goal, then concede a goal, but keep 11 men on the pitch. It's, it's daft. And... I mean, he knew as soon as the ref blew the whistle, he was getting a red card. So he must, his heart must have soared when he got a yellow. And then the ref goes to just the, the sideline and overturns, upgrades it to a red. So, yeah, it just, look, opportunities like this don't come around for teams like Rangers and West Ham very often. You have to make try to make the most of them when they do. Rangers did emphatically, and West Ham just didn't. You know, they... They were beaten fair and square, and yeah, they they did create chances, like Archie says, but you know none of them were particularly clear cut, and they they 
they deserve to lose and it's a shame because they are capable of a lot better but I, I, I must say I'm I'm really looking I mean Seville is not going to know what's hit it when those two sets of fans converge for the final what you know the, just the passion of them both and uh, yeah it's, it's going to be quite something on the pitch, Lars, we should we should celebrate Frankfurt, right? That they, they they played the better football in both of these legs. We we should, and Archie would pull me up because you've watched Frankfurt more than me this season. But I, my sense in watching both games is that that one of the things that have have enabled West Ham to do so well this season in the Premier League is that they're they're quite well organised. They're quite happy to sit back and hit people on the counter and for set pieces and stuff. And they kind of do well against these sort of wishy-washy passing teams who would like to play a lot of football. And they have this sort of wall of like Declan Rice and Suchek who are really big and strong and they won't let them through and then they hit them on the counter. But, but that sort of thing doesn't really impress Frankfurt that much because they're very happy to play on transition themselves. And there was absolutely no risk of them underestimating West Ham or exposing themselves too much at the back. They have a lot of really hard-working players. Like, if you pull up the, the pressing stats for their attackers, they, they run a lot, all of their forwards. And there's, there's really... They've been inconsistent in the league, and I haven't watched them every week, but it, they certainly have a steeliness to them that I think made them really bad opponents for West Ham and it, compared to a lot of other European teams they could have faced. I think there's there's a couple of elements to pick out here. That they're so good against the ball, um, particularly that front three that they had of uh, Boré, um, Jens Peter Hauger, who came in and has been really flaky this season, but I thought did... did more than all right last night, uh, and Daishi Kamada. Like they're not maybe as flashy and as big names as as what uh, Sebastian Alea, Luka Jovic, and Ante Rebic were three years ago. But as you say, they they do a job there. And I think that there's something about the way that Oliver Glasner, this coach, is. I in the press conference last night, I asked about what what he was like. The the day before the game because for Eintracht Frankfurt this was huge. I knew Frankfurt fans who could not sleep because of what was going on. Like they they were getting jitters the days before, let alone on the day of the game. And I was was interested to just know what it was like from his point of view. And he said, "Oh well, I had my usual eight hours sleep, no problems the night before. Then I, I went to the hotel on, on the day of the game. I had another hour long nap, and yeah, I was pretty calm." Uh, a coach, a former Eintracht coach, said to me, "Oh, you do you know how big this is?" And he was like, "Oh yeah, I, I, I do, but you know, I've, I've got my decisions to make." And I think that it really helps to have your guy who is leading you be such a cool figure. And in terms of the quality of decisions that you're going to make, it comes around to Jurgen Klopp as well. I, Jurgen Klopp is a lot calmer than he was when he was in Germany. He has really chilled out a lot. And I mean, he's still a pretty lively presence on the touchline, but I don't think it's a coincidence that his 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 demeanour and indeed like his greatest successes now with Liverpool have come since he's maybe a little bit more calmer in the head and is able to to make these decisions just a little bit... Yeah, with a little less emotion. We, we always talk up emotion of how great that is in football because it's reflecting the fans, but you need to show that at certain times. And Glasner's game management here, bringing in Christian Jakic at the right time for Sebastian Rorda in midfield, I thought was superb. Speaking of managers uh, showing emotion, um, <laughs> Switzy <laughs> says, how many Champions League semi-finals will it take for Pep to kick a ball boy in the face. Okay, well, it was with a football. But David Moyes has apologised. He was sent off for kicking the ball at a ball boy. Uh, I have to apologise for kicking the ball. But the ball boy left it short and it was nicely on the volley for me. I mean, that's just a, that's a great, absolutely hilarious thing to say. But I apologise really for it. Really weird behaviour from a grown-ass man. Isn't it? I mean, I don't know what you, you, you made of it, Barry. I mean, it was, people have got to me saying it, it wasn't, on the volley. It was on the volley, but it wasn't a volley, but it wasn't a half volley. On the volley is the correct terminology, to be clear. But you can't be doing that. I mean, it, the ball boy the ball boy was basically throwing it back. He didn't lob it back into the crowd, but it wasn't like he threw it over his shoulder. Like, what's he doing? Yeah, look, I presume he was frustrated with the, his team's performance. He lost his temper, did a stupid thing, and has apologised, even if his apology didn't exactly exude sincerity. I'm not sure 
you know, will, will he get a fine or a ban? He probably should because, as you say, you can't be doing that. If he'd smashed the yeah. ball into the ball boy's face and seriously hurt him, you know, that would be quite serious. <laughs> um, like, very serious. So he's he's lucky, even though it sat up nicely on the volley, he's lucky he didn't um, connect or he was his volley wasn't on target. I really think, as an experiment, I, I would encourage every ball boy and member of staff, coach, and, and even players, if the ball sits up nicely around David Moyes in the technical area <laughs> between now and the end of the season, just have a go. Just, you know, he's he he's cleared the decks. You know, it's, it's fine. If that's now, I honestly, like, I, I just thought, okay, fine. It, it's David Moyes. You know, he's not been in the European semifinal before. He's unlikely to be in one anytime soon. You know, it's gone wrong for him on the day. He's lost it a bit. Uh, you know, maybe on a human level, you can kind of see, but I think the apology has just made me angrier than I was in the sense, like, what are you talking about? Like, it just, and it, and you should see the footage because it's, it's really cringy. It's like an attempt at a joke. Just take the L, as young people on the internet said. You've had a bad day. You've embarrassed yourself. <laughs> you've been sent off. You've been sent off in arguably the biggest game of your career for being an idiot. Just apologize and move on. Just try to don't 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 do the jokes. You're not you're not a funny man, David. Well, he he this has happened to him before, where he I think when he was at Sunderland he made some what well, he was trying to be funny, but he referenced you know uh, slapping a a female reporter and it just went down really badly. And I look, I don't think he meant anything by it. It was a lame attempt at humour, but it, it didn't work and he got himself in all sorts of bother and rightfully so. So, you know, just maybe book a book an open mic slot at a comedy club or something and work work on your act. David. I just love the idea of uh, you know who, who's hosting Hal Cruttenden's hosting live at the Polo. I guess we've got a great lineup today. First up <laughs> his one line is a great if it's up there, to, if it's there to be hit, he might smash out at you. It's David Moyes, everybody. Um, Ian says, is the 2006 FA Cup final destined to be the only major cup final I get to see West Ham in? Playoffs and into Toto don't count. Since 1988, we've been beaten by Luton, Oldham, Birmingham and Manchester City in the semi-finals. Forest in the FA Cup, Frankfurt in the Europa League. I mean, that is the point, isn't it? That... Um, these don't come around, as you said, very often, Barry. And so it must be so frustrating for those West Ham fans that you just, and you've played well this season and you just didn't turn up on yeah. either day. You know, that's that just must be so gutting. No, I mean, if you played well and lost, you'd go, fair enough. We, we were not good enough, but West Ham are better than they showed in over two legs in that match. And look, they have a threadbare squad. They're running on fumes and they look exhausted. But it, yeah, of course it's disappointing because they are better than that. How dare you write off the Intertoto Cup? That is the only trophy I've ever seen Fulham win. <laughs> I, I cried. One. I cried when Fulham won the Intertoto Cup. Yes, I was. Yes, I was ten. But yeah. uh, we beat uh, we beat Bologna in the final at Loftus Road. Janichi Inamoto scored a hat trick. Uh, yeah, beautiful moment. I mean that's not equidistance, is it? That's not really fair on the Bologna fans, is it? Where do we have the game? Well, well, Loftus it was, Road. it was. Well, look, look. There, there you are proving that you're not a connoisseur of the Intertoto Cup because you'd know that the final is two legs. So, like, oh. so yeah. why didn't you have one? At, what was happening to Craven Cottage? It was Fulham playing at Loftus Road then. Yeah, we I had two years at Loftus Road, Max. Oh, it's all passed me by. Come on. I mean, you were ten. I was probably what? What was I? How, how old are you? <laughs> How old am I? I'm 29. 29. Oh, mate. I was in my 30s. Anyway. Does this coincide with the glory years of a certain... 100% uh, it coincides with the glory years. Of, of, which makes me feel like you should know this. <laughs> yeah, come on. I was too busy. I was probably dressed as a penguin doing a comedy sketch or something. <laughs> and I was... just, um, just, I just wanted to have a, just a, a word on what this result means in the bigger context of German football. Because you should have heard the noise in the state. Like, winning this was enough for Frankfurt last night. When they found out that they were not going to face RB in the final and that it was Rangers, the noise went up a notch. They were so delighted that it was Rangers and not RB. And this was 
it's an important moment for German football because there is still a lot of talk from prominent people and some not so prominent people about abolishing 50 plus one. And I think this is also a message to English football that, you know, you don't have to sell your soul to achieve things. Within English football, that is obviously very tough because the whole system works on in, on investors. But in Germany, where there is more and more chatter of, and indeed you look at who does well in the league, right? RB Leipzig is still in with a shout of making the Champions League again. Leverkusen are not a 50 plus one club. Like This was a timely reminder that actually with solid work and smart thinking, the big clubs are there to be rattled even if you're on a budget, even when you are fan-owned. And it's it's encouraging because of, you know, I constantly still am being drawn into Twitter debates <laughs> with people about, yeah, but wouldn't you rather have more money and then you'd compete? And it's like, when you see what these fans stand for as a whole, this means that much more because of the fact that they aren't they don't have some far-out investment as well, Max. So, yeah. It's a good point. An applause from the Question Time audience at the back for Archie Winchart of the Green Party. Do you not realise you could, how much money you could be paying your reserve fullback (laughs) if you would just open up for a foreign investment, Archie? Uh, Right, let's talk about the Europa Conference League then. Uh, It'll be Roma v. Feyenoord. Got a very... Um, it's got a 90s or 80s or something feel. So anyway, like, I'm looking forward to it. Yellow 5000 says, is Jose the greatest ever if he completes the European treble sweep? Johnny says, Pod said the wheels had come off early from Mourinho at Roma uh, after a Euro defeat. I mean, to be fair, it was 6-1 to Bodo Glimt. All no disrespect to Bodo Glimt, Lars. Uh, and him throwing the team under the bus. Is he actually an all right manager who wins things? Um, we need to give Jose some praise, Barry. I am prepared to grudgingly give Jose praise. Uh, I'm not a fan of him at all, but it, you know, he he was clearly very emotional after the game last night. Doesn't clearly doesn't consider the competition beneath him. I think any other season he might, but the fact that it's the first one and he can win it, then he can just sort of like this is my tournament, <laughs> and yeah, it would be pretty impressive to complete the set. Um, James says, is Tammy Abraham breaking the record for the most goals in a debut Roma season, one of the best ever achievements for an English player in Europe? 25th goal in 49 games, Lars. And it was a brilliant header as well. I mean, I don't know why Pereira was marking him because <laughs> he's like half That's his height. a rogue move. But he just, it was, it was every, it was a classic centre forward header that. Tammy Abraham has been, has been very good. And, uh, and, and I think in this particular case, I mean, you sometimes go, oh, Jose, but I think Jose Mourinho has been right to be a little bit demanding of him because he's been very good, but he can be even better. He has so much going for him, Tammy Abraham, as a striker. You know, you saw from that header, you know, he can be a menace in the air. He's also really quick. You know, he's, he's reasonably skillful. He's got a bit of everything. So they, they've got a real player there. And I, I'd like to see, I, I think some of the other big English clubs were, by the way, were asleep at the wheel uh, when, when he went off to Roma. I think there are a few of the other sort of so-called top six clubs who could have really dealt, uh, done with Tammy Abraham if, if Chelsea were prepared to sell them, sell him to them. But now that he's gone to Rome, I kind of hope he stays there forever and just becomes like a, a Roma icon and rejects the siren song of the of the pound uh, sound signs from the Premier League, which I'm sure there will be offers for him to come back. Uh, on Roma, yeah, it's, it's great for them to be in the final. I think they have the second highest wage bill in the entire tournament uh, after Leicester City, and they spent £100 million on transfers last summer. So... Yeah, it, well, the, the the second richest team got there in the end. This is kind of kind of how it tends to go with these things. Wasn't this competition meant to be for the slightly smaller teams? <laughs> yeah, and they've all been knocked out by the slightly richer ones. It's funny how that goes. But I, I, I it's worth noting on Roma. So I have a, I have a, I have a friend who supports them, who who said after the game that the team is kind of in a slightly strange place because. In sporting terms, there's a long way to go. Like they spent all this money, they're not going to make the top four. You know, the wheels haven't come off the Jose bus. They've had a good spring. There's only like three defeats in the last 22. But but the big thing is there's there's rarely been more harmony between the team and the fans, is, is what my Roma supporting acquaintance notes. So so everyone's really bought into Mourinho there, and the fan base certainly have, which at times this season has looked like a slightly odd thing to do. But uh, they're in a decent place going forward now after season one with Mourinho, I think. Uh, a bit like West Ham with Frankfurt. Leicester didn't really turn up and that's sort of the end of their season, Barry. I mean, I guess we have 
we do have to. I, I, I think I agree with you. The, the injuries they've had have changed this season. But you know, Vardy's getting older. Presumably, he he can't get quicker when he's fit. You wonder how good they'll be next year, and and I don't know if there's pressure on Rodgers, but sort of what will happen to them now. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'll be honest; it doesn't keep me awake at night. What what's going to happen to Leicester in the next season or two? <laughs> I maybe they're victims of their own success. You know, they've won the league title, they've won the FA Cup. That's pretty remarkable all things considered and i wouldn't be surprised if they have a few seasons of mid-table you know just plodding along uh maybe the odd cup run but does brendan rogers have loftier ambitions he would probably get a bigger job if if one came, became available so I, I suppose much of it depends on him and what where his ambitions lie. Quick question on the referee last night. I mean, I must confess this was on my third screen, so I, I wasn't across every minute of it. And I, I saw there was one where I, one Leicester player was kind of, I think Chris Smalling dragged down someone in the box. It could have been one of those sort of rugby tackle penalties. Oh, I think it was Wesley Fofana. Was it? Yeah, it, it, yes, it should have been a penalty. It wasn't given. Those kind of fouls rarely are. Um, but if it had been given, uh, Chris Smalling could have had no complaints whatsoever. They'll play Feyenoord in the final. Drew nil-nil at Marseille. Another brilliant atmosphere uh, there. Um, uh, Payet went off injured, which makes a big difference to Marseille. He's the he's the key for them. We will we'll go heavy on Feyenoord ahead of the uh, conference final uh, in a couple of weeks' time, and that'll do for part two. Part three, we'll have a quick look at the Premier League games over the weekend. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Ben says, my Max Barry and Co, you mentioned on your last podcast that your Birmingham date still had lots of tickets available. I think I know why. Harry Styles was supposed to be playing in Birmingham before the pandemic, but on his rescheduled tour, he cancelled that gig, preferring instead to increase the size of the Manchester gig and offer those with Birmingham tickets to his Manchester gig. This is the same night as your live date and why I can't make your live show. I don't believe for one second that I'm the only Football Weekly listener who also likes Harry Styles. So look, we can feel better about ourselves, Barry, because Harry Styles has stolen Bur- the, the population of Birmingham and taken it to Manchester. I wouldn't have thought the Venn diagram of Harry Styles fans and Football Weekly fans would have much of an intersection, but... I'm pr- I'm happy to latch on to that if if it you know spares us the humiliation of playing to n- an empty room. <laughs> Barry is happy to sing a number of One Direction songs at the end of the Birmingham gig, if it helps convince those Harry Styles fans to come to see us. Myticket.co.uk, uh, and then just type in Guardian Football Weekly, and uh, yeah, we're doing seven shows or eight shows. Um, we'll announce the lineups very soon. At last, you look poised. Just in, this is exactly like when we went to Belfast and we were up against William Shatner live in Madagascar, the musical. <laughs> and obviously that was really difficult to compete with. Well, we filled that though, didn't we? I think we filled that. Yeah, I think so. so. Come on, Birmingham. We believe in you, right? The Premier League this weekend, uh, look, Liverpool play Spurs. That is Liverpool's hardest game on paper. Um, but it is Spurs. So, you know, uh, uh, that's the late game on Saturday, uh, Man City home to Newcastle, uh, licking their wounds after what happened against Real Madrid uh, Sunday at four thirty. That that's quite a fascinating fixture. I I have a feeling Newcastle are going to get something out of this. Do you think so? I do. I do. Now Eddie Howe's record against Pep is diabolically bad. Played eleven, lost eleven. Massive aggregate score to five, and but. And they lost the corresponding fixture at St. James's Park, 4-0. So everything points to a resounding Man City win. But, and I do, I said this last week when City were facing Leeds, I thought just the, the mental stress and exhaustion might count against them. They beat Leeds not as comfortably as the scoreline suggested. I think it was was 3-0, 4-0. But Leeds, you know, give them a game. But uh, I, I think... I would be, you know, Pep has a big job in his hands to pick those players off the floor because they were destroyed at the end of that game. 
physically exhausted, mentally broken, you know, tears pouring down cheeks. Newcastle are a much better side now than they were in December. And I I just have a feeling. So, yeah, City would probably beat them 6-0, but we, we shall see. I wonder what the fans are going to be like there, what kind of atmosphere they'll provide, because they've been put through the ringer just as much as the players on this in terms of the expectations that they would have had to to reach the final. And, yeah, I, I'm, I'm wondering what kind of reception there will be, because, yeah, sure, you know, I think if, if City do win the league again, I just wonder how how that will feel. I, like, I guess it's as much almost now about making sure that Liverpool don't win the quadruple from their point of view. But I, I, I just imagine that it must would it must feel a certain hollowness to winning the league again if you're City uh, after yeah this latest Champions League debacle. I don't know. I don't know. I think you just you know you 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 know you forget that one. You go, you enjoy the game, and you got you back your team, haven't you? But look, we'll we'll see. Uh, look, Burnley play Villa, uh, Everton go to Leicester, and Leeds go to Arsenal in that uh, uh, battle to avoid the drop. Chelsea have made a statement regarding Roman Abramovich. We don't have time to cover it today. We will cover it. Uh, on Monday we also need to talk about Derby and their ownership there is another thing on the admin list list of things to do if you want to send us things we need to do footballweekly at theguardian.com uh, Wickham beat MK Dons 2-0 in the playoffs Sunderland Sheffield Wednesday this evening Barry how are you feeling? Uh, I'm looking forward to the game but I have no my expectations are low I, I just I will be delighted if Sunderland get promoted but I'm I'm not expecting it um, okay. Uh, uh, reports that Kylian Mbappe is very close to signing a two-year extension on his deal at PSG. La Parisienne reported a breakthrough had been made. Um, the numbers are quite ridiculous. A 100 million euro loyalty bonus. That's what I want, just in case the editor of The Guardian is listening. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> along with wages of 50 million euros a year after tax. That's good. Um, uh, I really like the idea of a loyalty bonus. Yeah. Like, we're paying you even more just to be that little bit more loyal. I'm loyal to loads of things. Or does that mean I'm not loyal? <laughs> <laughs> Max has a lot of loyalty to go around. If anyone wants to pay for a bit of it. Kylian Mbappe's mum uh, issued a swift response uh, on Twitter. It was in La Marca as well, um, saying there's no agreement... Uh, in principle with Paris Saint-Germain or any other club discussions around Killian's future continue in great serenity to allow him to make the best choice in the respect of all the parties I think worth mentioning Lars I think his mum is one of his advisors it's not just like my mum tweeting Max is very happy at the Guardian (laughs) does she tweet that because that would be good I don't think my mum has Twitter so I guess it becomes an issue of just how much money Killian Mbappe is prepared to give up to not have to play for PSG anymore and I suspect that's a pretty, uh, that's probably a pretty big number. I, I suppose I, I, like, I was chatting to uh, Andy Brassel yesterday saying, look, he's only 23. He is from Paris. So, like, he, you know, he's, he's got some loyalty there and he's only 23. So he can go to Real Madrid in two years with a zillion squillion pounds as long as, you know, he doesn't do his ACL doing a knee slide like all these young footballers seem to do these days. I remember interviewing Damien Duff once and the subject of, money came up it was very vulgar but but he he said um he just he gives all his mother money to his mother and his you know then any any time he needed some cash he'd go to the atm and it's always there but i I wonder if killing mbappe does the same sort of gets an allowance each week of 150 I like the idea of <laughs> Mrs Mbappe squirreling the rest away for I like the way Kylian Mbappe day. gets the cash point and it just says you know available balance 200 euros and he's like ah oh, I can get out a tenner and get I can get a tenner I'm going to have two pints that's what I can afford tonight I'm sure I should have more than that but you know Anyway, Andrew says, uh, high drama, like two late goals, deafening crowd. I assume you'll be starting today with Seattle Sounders becoming the first MLS team to win the CONCACAF Champions League. Or will there be more anti-American bias? Yeah, uh, it was about two in the afternoon. It was about midday in Australia. And of course, Lars, it was the middle of the night, but you were watching this game. 
good for you. We need you. <laughs> I mean, I was up working. I was up writing some nonsense, and I just looked at the time, and it's like this kicks off in an hour. Like I could make it, and uh, it does. It spelled doom for the next day in my life. But in, it was a good decision. I think. You know, listen, the the Concacaf Champions League, since it was restructured in two thousand and eight, has been won entirely by teams from the Mexican league every single year. And I think this has become a slightly sore thing for the MLS crowd because the league MLS isn't terrible anymore, uh, and they've gotten to the to finals, but they just couldn't get across the line so many times. And in 2018, they really should have won it with Sebastian Giovinco's uh, Toronto FC, uh, who lost in penalties. Uh, but but this time the Seattle Sounders did it. Uh, there's a two-legged final. It was two-two in the first leg. They won three-nil in front of a packed house at Lumen Field, as it's now known, a terrific stadium right near downtown Seattle. Sixty-eight thousand people, tremendous atmosphere, and uh, it. They it got a bit sort of uh, uh, troublesome for Seattle because they their very very important Brazilian central midfielder João Paulo uh, did his ACL in the first half, uh, so they had to put on a small child, uh, a sixteen year old named Obed Vargas, who was born in Alaska in two thousand five. I mean that makes you feel very old uh, to play next to Slovakian Albert Rusnak, who's more of an attacking midfielder anyway. So those two in midfield for a lot of the game, you think this is it going to go wrong yet again uh, for the MLS? team when, when everything seemed to be in their favor but it did not they took the lead just before halftime and and again put the game to bed after 80 minutes with a very nice counter-attack that's almost worth looking up and it kind of had everything that makes the Sounders team very good you had sort of grit and running from Jordan Morris who chased down a, a hopeful pass forward a, a, a clever little ball from playmaker Nicolas Lodero and and a venomous finish from Raul Ruiz Diaz, the Peruvian striker, who I very much enjoy watching. He he scored the first goal as well. And they made it 3-0 before the end, and a very well-deserved win for the Sounders. And I think it's fitting that they're the first MLS team to win the CONCACAF Champions League. You know, they've been to four MLS finals in the last six years. They've consistently been one of the best teams in the regular season. And I don't think it's coincidence that the first MLS team to win the CONCACAF Champions League is one that hasn't really built its team around, like, old dudes from Europe. You know, Seattle had been much more about... You know, initially, there was Jungberg, and they brought home Dempsey and that sort of thing. But, but yeah, bringing in someone like Raul Ruiz Diaz, he's really good. He should probably should, should have played in Europe at some point. Nico Lodero, who was at Ajax when he was young, but didn't quite make it there. But he's a very good playmaker. You know, those sorts of players, I think, is, is much better. And, uh, and a great moment for a team that has a huge fan base and you know it was really good uh, I enjoyed it a great moment for their chairman Fraser Crane as well uh, who uh, <laughs> had a great time and, uh, somebody did tweet us to say come to Seattle on your US tour and on the subject of the US tour which is obviously just my idea currently but you never know Jonathan says I'm a huge fan of the pod very excited of the possibility of you visiting Chicago I moved here from the UK five years ago just to let you know that Malor is pronounced Malor not Malort uh, it's a botanical spirit with a distinctive bitter flavor. If you do come, I'll buy you a round of Chicago handshakes. Uh, could be a euphemism, which is an old style beer paired with a shot of Malo. I don't want a shot of anything. Um, thank you. I've come to Chicago. I'm not, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to appear um, uh, disloyal, of course, to you. Uh, also, to shake off your hangover, I'll invite you to a morning pickup footy game by Lake Michigan, where the winds will clear your heads. So there you go. Uh, Summer 2023, that's the plan. I say plan, dream currently. But, you know, if we keep saying it, maybe it'll be happen. Hello, Chicago. That's I want to say hello, Chicago. Come on, we can do it once. Um, all the best, John. Thank you, John. Um, and that'll do for today. Uh, thank you, Barry. You're welcome. Thank you, Lars. Anytime, Max. Thank you, Archie. Thanks, Max. We'll be back on Monday. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove with Silas Gray. Executive producer is Max Sanderson. This is The Guardian.